In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps, inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or your treadmill, climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony, and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th, from coast to coast, as we come together to climb, conquer, cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. High in the air, Brito back at the wall. Adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy. They're going to get accountability. They're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 75 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly, and this is the Barry Zito edition. This is uh, the Singing Rhinoceros edition. So uh, if you had that on your word salad bingo card from last year, here, here you go. How you doing, Andy? I'm doing good, and I would like to know, um, since you called Barry Zito as the masked singer like a month and a half before he was unmasked, where does that rank in terms of scoops in your career? And is it considered a spoiler or a scoop or some of both? It's a funny question because I had to I had to wrestle with that. It's like, is it a spoiler to say this is pretty clearly Barry Zito? And some people got mad at me in the comments. And my argument was like the whole point of the show is to guess. That's, the, the you know, at the end, all the, the pa- there's a pa- panel of celebrities and they sort of they, they say, here's the clue, I think. And this is why it's Tim Tebow. And I, I think this clue means it's this guy. Um, so the whole point is to guess. So I didn't feel too bad about spoiling it. But it doesn't rank that highly because I didn't necessarily come up with this idea. I didn't put uh, two and two together. I saw uh, someone just kind of drop a two and two on my timeline, and I said, "What? What? Huh?" And then I, I, I researched it. It's nothing like predicting the the 2012 World Series sweep uh, with Justin Verlander getting knocked out early. Uh, I predicted that. That's my that's my best scoop of the uh, of my career. What would have been hilarious is if they took the rhino head off and it had been like, I don't know, Omar Vizquel instead. That would have been. I was kind of rooting for that. I was sort of like, <laughs> I was I was so invested and I was like, man, what if it is Tim Tebow? That is extra funny. And then I get to write a Mia Culpa. But uh, no, it was Barry Zito. And this is the, the Barry Zito edition. Do you know uh, who Barry Zito's nemesis was? Um, uh, for a while it was himself, right? Um, yeah, uh, I, and now I'm sorry, I just have bro way he's dark tonight, a little bit weaker than he used to be, stuck in my head now. Um, <laughs> that's, that's gonna be there the entire Goo Goo dolls, right? Yes, yes, from from uh, Oh Say Can You Sing, the, the greatest CD of, of ballplayers singing of all time. I have um, it. You do? 
Yeah. Ooh, oh, can you rip one of those for me? I, I definitely need that. I think I, I, th- I want to say Aubrey Huff is on there. Oh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, looks like uh, Barry Zito's arch nemesis was Matt Kemp. Matt Kemp hit 417 against him with three homers and 10 RBIs and 60 at bats, which, yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. I can see that. Uh, but the Barry Zito was the nemesis to Alfonso Soriano, who mm. hit just 140 and 50 at bats against him with one measly double and no other extra base hits. Wow, that's a lot of at bats against a pretty darn good, you know, borderline down ballot Hall of Fame type player. That's uh, Soriano had a great career, and that's yeah, that he pretty much neutralized him. I guess he probably just couldn't hit the curveball. Yeah, and you know, I'm looking through the the players that Barry Zito absolutely dominated. Uh, he dominated Tim Salmon. He dominated Troy Tulowitzki. Uh, he dominated, let's see, he, he did really well against Michael Young and Andre Ethier. I guess Ethier, you can, you can kind of explain away. Raul Abanez, Carlos Beltran, Barry Zito did very, very well against Carlos Beltran, uh, he, held him homerless in 51 at bats with a 216 average. Wow. You know, it's funny you mentioned Tim Salmon because I covered Barry Zito's major league debut, uh, in 2000. Uh, it was at the Coliseum and I was covering the Angels at the time. And we all heard about, you know, how he had this big curveball and he was the next big thing. Um, And uh, he was definitely effectively wild that day. And I remember in the fifth, I think it was the fifth inning uh, of that game. And I'm calling up the box score to make sure my memory is correct. He walked the bases loaded with nobody out. and, uh, And then he got out of it. And he got out of it by striking out in succession. I know Tim Salmon was one of them. I think Garrett Anderson was one of them. And maybe it was Mo Vaughn. Let me look here. Ooh. It was it was uh, top of the fifth. Yep. Walked Adam Kennedy. Single for Darren Nurstad. Walked the great Benji Gill. Mo Vaughn strikeout looking. Tim Salmon strikeout swinging. Garrett Anderson strikeout swinging. And I remember the ballpark went nuts. And uh, oh, and we thought, we're seeing the, the birth of a, a guy who could have a pretty interesting career here. And uh, in terms of debuts... Um, you know, you always remember like, you know, I covered this guy's first game or, or this first. And a lot of times you don't remember anything out of it. But this one was a, a debut that I definitely remember. That was a cool one. That's awesome. That's, that's some Carl Hubble stuff right there. Just, you know, our version of it. Uh, but we'll move on real quick. But I, 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 Juan Uribe, two for 24 with two singles. That's an 083 average. Barry Zito crushed Juan Uribe. Um, but we're talking about this because this is the Nemesis edition of the Bags and Brisby podcast. We're talking about Nemeses, uh, the the great players who ran into a brick wall at some point, and we're talking about it because you've been you've been busy, you've been writing about this, and you've been writing about uh, Ricky Henderson's Nemesis and and Pete Rose's and Barry Bonds's Nemesis just got published today, and it's a fascinating series. How, how'd you come up with the idea? Well, you know, I, 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 I'm not sure how I came up with the idea. I, I know that we, we bandied around a whole bunch of different uh, um, ideas for what to cover without games. And, you know, we even had a Slack channel called Hashtag Let's Get Weird. And there's a lot of stuff that was floating around. And, and one thing was about, you know, um, wh- who were some of the who were some of the sort of, um, uh, you know, what were some of the more interesting matchups? And I know that that just talking to players, they, they have an amazing memory by and large um, for who they have success against and who they don't. And uh, and so I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to start going on baseball reference, using the play index 
And I'm going to look for, for some of the most elite skills of all time. Ricky Henderson stealing bases. He stole the most. What catcher had the highest caught stealing percentage against him? Okay, I'm going to find that person and find out if there's a story. And sometimes there really wasn't. And sometimes there was. And sometimes I could zero in on a game or two that was really interesting. Um, you know, uh, Tom Seaver and Rick Monday. Rick Monday just owned Tom Seaver. And there <laughs> ended up being a pretty funny story uh, that they knew each other in, in college and played for the Alaska Gold Panners. And and, uh, and the first time they faced each other, I would not have known this if Rick Monday had not told me. It was in the 1968 All-Star Game. And Tom Seaver promised that he would throw him a fastball, promised Rick Monday's mother that he would throw him a fastball uh, on the first pitch, and he threw him a first pitch curveball. And he said, I never <laughs> never forgot about that, and he spent the rest of his career just making him pay for it. Um, you know, and obviously, who faced uh, uh, Pete Rose the most times without giving up a hit to him? Who faced Ichiro the most times without giving up a hit to him? And the answer is Ryan Vogelsong uh, for Ichiro. So, um, you know, that that's sort of the way I, I went through it, and I thought, okay, let's see how many interesting little uh, uh, matchups I can get. And, you know, there are some that I, I pursued and, and and there really wasn't a whole lot there. Um, you know, I, 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 uh, I looked up, for example, Mike Trout. You know, who who is can claim ownership over Mike Trout? And, and so the, the, the method that I used was, who has faced him the most times without allowing an extra base hit? And the answer is David Price, who's now, you know, in... In uh, the National League West, and, and if there's a big old West division, they may face each other quite a few times. And I got David Price on the phone, and he was great. He was really um, friendly, and uh, but he's an active player, talking about facing an active player. So he's not sure. going to really give me a full window into what he's thrown him, what his pitch plan is and everything. So I'm like, okay, I don't really have a full story here, but maybe I can do like a best of the rest at the end. Uh, but yeah, it, it's been fun to do. I think, um, you know, it, obviously I think we all wish we had games that we could be covering and, and analyzing and writing about, but um, we've all had to get a little bit creative. So uh, this has kind of been my my little project I've taken on. See, this is kind of my favorite story to, to favorite kind of story, favorite genre story to to write. It, the one where you do research and you just start picking at something and digging and digging and just you know, you, you, you okay, well, what's this story? And you just sort of peel back another layer. I love that because then you get just you you start discovering things you had no idea. I mean, uh, how much Jim Nash knowledge did you have before this? Uh, Jim Nash is the the pitcher who didn't allow a hit to Pete Rose. Uh, you know, and I, I didn't know what darn thing about Jim Nash, uh, but I just love figuring these things out. And baseball history is so vast that just just getting that little sliver on, on your plate feels like an accomplishment. Yeah, no, thanks. And um, I, I think, you know, sometimes it's it's a little tortured to call, you know, Jim Nash Pete Rose's nemesis. I mean, <laughs> they, they faced each other 10 times. And uh, and that to me is is the story, though. The story is is less about you know, Jim Nash making some good pitches and and, uh, and and holding Pete Rose without a hit in 10 at-bats. The story for me is that Pete Rose faced 380-something-odd pitchers uh, at least 10 times, and he got a hit off all of them but one. I mean, <laughs> that, that just tells you how good Pete Rose was for such a long stretch of time. You figure someone would face him a bunch of times maybe when he was like 44 years old and he didn't get a hit off him. No, he got a hit off everybody. Uh, that he faced at least ten times, except for uh, except for Jim Nash, and and when I called him and I talked to him, and he's a very nice guy. He lives in suburban Atlanta. He's like, I I had no idea. <laughs> I did I didn't know that. So it's kind of cool. You can give them a little little something they can brag about next time they're uh, 
they're you know at one of these alumni golf tournaments or something. Yeah, that was probably one of my favorite quotes in your whole in your whole uh, series so far. Is uh, when you set it up, you know, here's what Rose did. Uh, there was one exception, and Jim Nash's quote was, "I, I did what now." Yeah, right. you know, he had no idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but my favorite of of the series uh, was just re- released today, Monday. Um, because w- when you came up with this idea, you uh, you shared it with me, and you said, "Hey, you know, I- I'm thinking about doing this." And you had the idea. I think Ricky Henderson might have been your your first idea. And so I I was sort of like, "Ooh, you know, let me let me see if I can find something for you." And so I looked. Uh, at Barry Bonds and who owned Barry Bonds the most. And when I got there, I squealed. Like I, it was just, <laughs> it was just such a moment of, because it was Troy Brohan. If you're a Giants nerd, you know Troy Brohan, not just because he used to be a prospect for the Giants, but because he was the pitcher that the Giants sent to the Diamondbacks to get Felix Rodriguez. For a while, that was like one of the greatest steals in recent Giants trade history to get Felix Rodriguez, this ace setup guy, you know, for this prospect. And so Tori Brohan was remembered there. He came back to the Giants in 2002 and he pitched 82 games in his career. And somehow this is the guy who owned Barry Bonds the hardest. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's it's it, it can feel like cherry picking, I think, to, to say, well, who was Barry Bonds' nemesis? I mean, if you look at like who he had the lowest... OPS against and who he faced a lot, um, you know, you're going to come up with with different names. But then those are going to be names that he faced uh, at other points in his career. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I'm scanning the list here. You know, he had a 258 OPS against John Tudor, uh, you know, but I that, that was obviously all in the, the 1980s. Charlie Liebrandt, uh, you know, he hit 171 against Rick Mailer. Um, uh, you know, Chuck McElroy, that's a good example. He was three for 33 against Chuck McElroy. But I, I looked at, you know, who he, I only looked at his MVP seasons, his four MVP seasons in a row from 2001 to 2004, when nobody wanted to throw this guy a strike, nobody on the planet. And Troy Brohan only faced Barry Bonds in, in those four seasons. And, and not only did he not get a hit off him or a home run, but Brohan only walked him once. And you go through the, the game log, and almost every one of these spots was very leveraged. And uh, and I thought, gosh, what made this guy feel like he could not only get Barry Bonds out, but even just pitch to him, um, you know, when nobody else was. And, uh, and so that's why he was kind of the obvious choice. But I thought it was really funny when you sent me a message saying, hey, you know, you might want to look at Troy Brohan. I had literally gotten off the phone with him like an hour and a half before. So <laughs> so I'm like, yes, yes, we are. We are in league here. Let's pause to talk about hydrant. You want to kick the coffee habit, but you're worried about your energy levels. To avoid the morning sluggishness and that midday slump, you need to make sure you're hydrated. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you could choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code ATHLETIC for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code 
athletic. I have such a, a soft spot for players of that era because that was the time where I'm not a writer. I'm not a baseball writer. I'm, I'm just living my life. I'm in Oregon. I am uh, uh, distant. I'm far away from, from Giants baseball, so I'm just deep in the internet. And I'm just I'm just consuming, you know, uh, uh, news group chatter and, and whatever I can read. You know, the sporting news back then had a great website. And I was just so giants out at all times. That's all I could think about. And so Troy Brohan, to me, was like someone I've spent a lot of time thinking about, which is he was just in that right sweet spot for me. And to see that he dominated Barry Bonds, hilarious. Even funnier, uh, he faced Marvin Bernard twice. Uh, Bernard was two for two. <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. And you know what? That That's like you said, you go down the rabbit hole and you find these things you weren't even looking for. Like, you know, one thing that blew my mind uh, while looking up Pete Rose, he faced Warren Spawn and Dwight Gooden. I mean, that yeah. that just... I think that that like brain fluid is leaking out of my ears just thinking about that. And it's so cool. I mean, he was around for so freaking long. Um, and, and so, you know, the story isn't just about a Jim Nash or a Troy Brohan, um, but it also allows you just to kind of, you know, think back and, on how great some of these great players were and just how consistently great they were. Like, you know, Pete Rose, the people he faced the most, they're all Hall of Famers. Like the 10 pitchers he faced the most, like seven of them are in the Hall of Fame, which makes sense because they were good enough to stay around long enough to face him a ton of times. But that's how right. good he had to be to be able to, I mean, you know, he hit like 300 off all those guys too. So um, that, that's, that's been one of the fun things about delving into this is all the unexpected ways it's, it's kind of taken you. Yeah. And, and I would recommend if you're bored on the internet uh, at some point, uh, dear listener, to just go to a Hall of Fame pitcher or a Hall of Fame hitter on Baseball Reference and see who they face the most. Because it, it's like, it, it's like you said, these are going to be the if you face someone a hundred times, it's because that person was good enough to stay in the league. So when you go to Warren Spawn's uh, page, you see that that he faced Willie Mays, you know, almost like a half season's worth of at bats. I think Willie Mays had uh, eighteen homers off of Warren Spawn, uh, but no one hit Warren Spawn harder than Roberto Clemente, who hit like four twenty or four thirty against him uh, in in a substantial number of at bats. So I'm really into just you know digging into Hall of Famers and how they they matched up over their careers. Um, it, now, when it comes to Ryan Vogelsong and Ichiro, did you plan to look and see who Ichiro's nemesis was? Or did you know that that Ryan Vogelsong was the answer and you were kind of reverse engineering it? Or was that a pleasant surprise that you found it? Uh, well, I, I will say that um, uh, just to back up one second, uh, you know, Pete Rose also completely destroyed Warren Spawn. I mean, just destroyed him. I've got the numbers here. <laughs> He was, I mean, get a load of this. Where is it? He was 17 for 32 against him. Hit 531. That, now, that was the last last year of Spawn's career. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that's, that's pretty good. Um, now, anyway, how old was he then? 45? Warren Spawn, he was 67 years old. Yeah. <laughs> and he was pitching with shrapnel in one leg. And, oh, yeah, I, I don't know. But uh, it was, I think it was the last year of his career. Um, and, and, and poor Pete just wore him out. But no, with with Ichiro, I, I did the same thing. I just called up, okay, let's get a list of pitchers with zero hits and who's got the most at-bats. And boom, there's Ryan Vogelsong. And and he's, you know, he doesn't clear it by an at-bat or two. It, it's by like four or five or six at-bats. Um, and Ichiro got hits off everybody. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, had 260-plus hits in a season. He had more hits uh, in his first six seasons than Jackie Robinson had in his whole career. 
Um, there's just so many amazing Ichiro stats. He, he just got hits off everybody. And, and, and it's funny, when I saw Vogelsong's name, I was like, that's right. I, I, I do remember something about Vogelsong uh, and the matchup page and, and how Ichiro hadn't gotten a hit off him. And I didn't realize that he kept carrying it through. And then I found video of the very last game. It, the whole game is on the internet. And you can tell the very last at bat, Ichiro knows. This guy was so detail-obsessed. You know that he knows this is probably his last chance to get a hit off the pitcher that he's got the longest overstreak against. And he, I mean, he puts up a battle in that last at bat. He's, you know, resetting. He's taking big breaths in between pitches. And he almost gets him. He hits a bullet right off the mound. And Josh Harrison ranges up the middle and throws him out by a step. And, and if he's... 32-year-old Ichiro, not 42-year-old Ichiro. Maybe he beats it out, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, and then and then Vogelsong is so good talking about himself and his career that uh, it, any any time I have a chance to call to call him up uh, is I know I'm going to be in for some stories and a treat. So that was a fun one to write. Nice. When it comes to players like Pete Rose and Ichiro, and I wrote about this years and years ago uh, about Jose Altuve when he was you know before he was like a, a super duper trooper star like uh, Altuve was just sort of a, a high average player uh, and but not the the on base percentage yet and so there was some talk like ah he's a little bit overrated the batting average is going to come down and my whole column was like look batting average is awesome if you have a guy who can hit a, with a consistently high batting average, like I get everyone's focused on on-base percentage now, but what a high batting average means is this guy had successful at-bats that made the crowd cheer and go yay. And, you know, I understand that maybe the walks aren't there, like Juan Pierre in his best seasons. He wasn't walking a ton, but when he had those seasons where he's hitting 320 or 330 or whatever, there's no player who gave more fun back to the crowd than Juan Pierre. It's just every time he'd come up, he, you know, a third, well, not every time, a third of the time he'd come up, he'd get a hit. And it's just, that's a happy, fun time baseball experience. And it was very easy to underrate the guys whose job was to go up there and hit and who did it better than, than most people. Yeah, I, I, you know, they say a walk is as good as a hit, but... I mean, ob- objectively, it isn't because a hit can turn into an error uh, in two bases, where it's a single, or it can be a double, or it can be a home run, or, and it's just more exciting. It's more fun to watch a hit than it is to watch a walk. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I'm totally with you, and that's why each row was so much fun to watch, and and uh, and I am working on the next one now, and it has to do with Nolan Ryan and a certain batter who never, ever, 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 ever struck out, So except when he did, but he didn't very often. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that one, too. I figured, like, the, the nemesis for Nolan Ryan would be the the batter who walked, uh, you know, 20 times against him. Was there a, was Have you found out if there was a batter who just Ryan couldn't throw strikes to, even by his own standards? Uh, yes, Robin Ventura. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he could throw strikes to Ventura. He could throw some strikes to the top of yeah, his head. Yeah, he could definitely hit the zone there. Um <laughs> No, it's it's crazy to go back to Nolan Ryan. I mean, he struck out the world. He struck out more than uh, more batters than anybody in history. And so that what was the one I was looking at. It's okay. Who caught Ricky stealing the most? I was interested in who faced Nolan the most times and never struck out against him. And yeah. the person who who was first on that list actually hit like 140 against him, but just just made soft contact over and over. But there was one other guy who wore him out and, and only struck out twice in, in, in 20 or 24 at bats. And so that's the person I want to track down. 
Nice, nice. You know, I'm actually, I didn't realize that I was uh, half stealing your idea because right now I'm, I'm working on a list of pitchers who dominated the Giants over the years. Um, and I realized halfway through when I came to a word and I was going to, oh, I'm going to use the word nemesis here. Oh, crap. I <laughs> bags is bit, didn't I? Um, well, no, I, but I thought about that I'm, because nemesis doesn't quite work for all of them. Like I've got Heath Bell, who threw the most innings of any pitcher at Coors Field without giving up a home run. And he's got some really good Coors Field stories, which and he's a lot of fun to talk to. So that one ran last week. And um, but you can't really say that you know a ballpark doesn't really have a nemesis. A ballpark, I think, can be a nemesis for pitchers. So he's kind of the anti-nemesis, I guess. So I thought when I was coming up with the series, it's like, well, I want there to be like one word that ties it together. And I thought maybe it's kryptonite, maybe it's you know ownage, as Mike Kruko likes to say. Um, and, and sort of, we came on nemesis, but, but it, it doesn't always work perfectly. Um, but I've tried not to let that really stifle the, uh, the direction that things go. Now, as someone who you weren't born a Giants fan, you didn't start your career as a Giants writer. So I have to ask you, are are you aware, have you become aware since becoming a Giants writer, uh, about the legend of Mark Portugal? Uh, You know, I, I'm not sure. Can you enlighten me? Uh, just, he, he had ownage over the Giants like no other pitcher. And so while he was with the Astros, I think for five seasons, uh, he made 17 starts with them and he never allowed in one of those starts, uh, more than three earned runs. He allowed three earned runs twice. He allowed two earned runs, I think five times, one earned run six times, and he shut them out three times. Uh, and just every time he was out there, he would, he would just brutalize the Giants. And it was... The worst was in 1993 when the Giants won 103 games. They they missed the the postseason and they started. They had a game against him in September, late September. They went to the Astrodome and he shut them out. He got Barry Bonds to ground out to first for the final out of the game, and it was just sort of like that's Mark Portugal. He owns the Giants, and so that off season, what do the Giants do? Well, they sign Mark Portugal to big money for them, and while doing this research. It, the quote from general manager Bob Quinn was, since the end of the season, we've had in place a three-point plan. Uh, our objectives were to re-sign Will Clark and Robbie Thompson and to improve our starting pitching. The third objective has yet to be answered. They never got that third objective. They never re-signed Will Clark because they'd spent so much money on Mark Portugal. So even in November, he's killing the Giants. And I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by, by the ballad of Mark Portugal. So I, I think that my Cubs analog from someone who grew up a Cubs fan, I could go with Howard Johnson uh, because he just always destroyed the Cubs and then they got him and he was terrible. Ooh. But Howard Johnson was also a really good player in his prime. Um, but there was another guy. It made no sense why he was so good. Jeff frickin' Blouser. Jeff Blouser hit 351 with 15 homers in 262 at bats against the Cubs, he obl- at 15 doubles, he 1.023 OPS. He obliterated the Cubs, just destroyed them. So what did they do? They signed him. They signed him to a free agent contract. I don't have oh, the money in man. front of me, but it was he should have been. Boy, yeah, he but he stole it. He stole the money because with the Cubs for two years, he hit 219 and 240. Wah wah. 
uh, as a 32 and 33 year old in 1998 and 1999. And it was just one of those cub things where it was like, really? I mean, you destroyed us our entire career, your entire career, and now we get you and you're just taking up a uniform. Yep. Jeff Blauser. Portugal was just a guy, you know, for the Giants. They barely pitched a full season. You know, the strike cut that off. But real quick, talking about Jeff Blauser, and this is how my brain works. This has nothing to do with Nemesis. This has nothing to do with Jeff Blauser, really. But just you mentioning Jeff Blauser brings Mark Lemke into my head. Mm. And I I just, at every opportunity, I need to let people know. And now I have a platform, and so I can let people know that Mark Lemke had 3,664 plate appearances in his career. He was never hit by a pitch. Really? That no is, kidding. I just, I have to just share that, you know, whenever, whenever I can. It has nothing to do, and I'm not even sure how I'm going to segue out of it. But that's just a lot of, of plate appearances without getting hit by a pitch once. Who did the Giants just get? The, uh, Brandon Geyer. Oh, yes, exactly. Giants legend, exactly. Brandon Geyer. Oh, man. So that that's my... Uh, that's my Jeff Blauser factoid. It's not even Jeff Blauser factoid. Um, so which of these was your favorite to write? Which of these nemeses was your favorite? Wow. Um, you know what? I think my favorite one has not been published yet. Um, I'm mm. saving one for Father's Day. And uh, I so I'll just tease it by saying that. And, um, you know, there, there were some people who popped up who are no longer with us. And in this case, I was able to talk to... His daughter, who shared some great memories about uh, her dad and, and his life and what kind of father he was, and and uh, and he also has a very small little claim to fame versus uh, someone who, up until recently, was the game's all-time home run king. So nice. um, I look forward to writing that one. All right. Well, you know, I was I remembered how I was going to segue out of that, and, and I just found it because in my research, there is a Cubs pitcher. Who is who dominates the Giants, or who did dominate the Giants uh, way more than he should have? Uh, he pitched for the Cubs on two non-consecutive occasions. He pitched for them uh, specifically from 1993 through 1999. Can you name the Cubs pitcher of that era who just absolutely crushed the Giants? Okay, well, let's see. Um, I'm I, my I think I would guess Steve Traxel because he pitched the wild card game or the wild card play in game. Um, maybe Frank Castillo, Kevin Foster, uh, who else would have been part of those Cubs teams? Not Jamie Navarro. He didn't pitch well against anybody. Um, uh, who, uh, Juan Guzman, um, Les Lancaster. I'm guessing I've probably said the name. I'm going to go with Steve Traxel. Yep, you had it in one. Steve Traxel. Okay. Steve Traxel had a two four six ERA against the Giants, a ten and four record. You know, not it, a substantial number of of innings too. He pitched 139 innings, uh, started 21 games against him. Giants just could never hit. Steve Traxel, and it was it was maddening. It was absolutely maddening because Steve Traxel was the definition of uh, control instead of stuff. And back then, you know, this is before pitchers who threw ninety two can were con- like now you throw ninety two, you don't have a good fastball. Back then, ninety two was sort of like, yeah, I've got a good fastball. Traxel couldn't even do that. Uh, and he just dominated the Giants. And you know what? Um, I, I have no memory of Steve Traxel throwing a pitch, but I have lots of memories of him throwing over to the runner at first base. Uh. Um, he, he, he took forever, and maybe that was the key to his success. He thought, you know, if I never throw a pitch, they can't hit it. And really, uh, who can who can argue with that logic? He is still on a mound somewhere, looking in, shaking off, looking in, shaking off, and we have no idea. This is you know, it's Schrodinger, Schrodinger's ball player. He's just he's never he's never gonna throw that pitch, which means his career is never gonna end. He was let's see, eight and eighteen in nineteen ninety nine. 
And I'll, I'll guarantee you, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to look. In 1999, he was 8-18 eight and 18 with an ERA in the millions. And let's see what he did against the Giants. He... Oh, we didn't pitch against him that that year. There you go. Well, there you go. I mean, it That's would have been an secret. entirely different season if he'd lined up four times against the Giants that year. All right. This has been episode 75 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I've talked with my nemesis, Andy Baggerly. <laughs> uh, I would like to thank Tanika Smothers for her great work producing us. And we will be back on Thursday. And I think we'll be talking draft stuff right yeah absolutely the giants will have a new giant all right i'm excited we'll see you on thursday